Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are joining us, dear listeners. Uh, we are back once again with another exciting episode of Eval Edge uh, podcast, uh, where if you're joining us for the first time, Eval Edge podcast is European Evaluation Society's uh, signature innovation podcast, where we discuss innovations and methods in evaluation, emerging technologies, and also about organizations that do cutting edge research and evaluation. Uh, that take development practice to the next level. Joining us today uh, to introduce and talk to the, uh, our exciting guest is Tom and May. Uh, if you want to know more details about our uh, podcast team, please visit the European Evaluation Society's Eval Age page, which is in the uh, link below. Without further ado, <clears throat> I would like to introduce uh, today's speaker. Today's uh, guest uh, in our interview studio is uh, Dr. Simon Langen. He is uh, the Director of Digital Innovations at the International Water Manage Management Institute, which is part of the Consultative Group on International Agricultural Research Consortium. He has been seeking to develop a stream of work uh, that utilizes emerging and established digital innovations to influence policy, investment, and best practices in international agricultural research. Uh, principally in relation to ag water management in the regions in which uh, IMI works. As a country manager for Sri Lanka, he's working with colleagues in the office to ensure the work undertaken is benefiting and aligning with national and regional priorities of the governments, uh, agent, donor agencies, and other stakeholders. Immediately prior to that, he has worked as the Director of Water Program and Water Futures Initiative at the International Institute of Applied Systems Analysis. And prior to that, he was the head of office and principal scientist for IMI in East Africa, based in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, where he was my boss and supervisor. And I'm very excited to be speaking with him again uh, today. So good morning, Simon, or good afternoon. I know you're joining us from Colombo. Very happy to have you with us. Could you briefly tell us about the CGIR and specifically about IMI and its global mandate and uh, specifically about your division? Thanks, Hal. Uh, thank you uh, and the team. Uh, so I'm very excited to be here and I hope we can share some of that excitement with the listeners. Uh, and thank you to Eval Edge and the European Evaluation Society. I'm very much looking forward to the next 20, 30 minutes uh, to discuss what excites me on a day-to-day and week-to-week basis. Um, so let me try and introduce to you to that. So I am speaking from the International Water Management Institute's headquarter. We call it IMI for short. And IMI is one of 15 research for development organizations really focusing on agriculture. Although I'll come to water because water has a slightly different theme to just agriculture. So these 15 uh, research for development organizations are really there trying to benefit uh, the fragile, the less fortunate uh, than many of us uh, in the developed North. So we pr principally work uh, across Africa, across Asia uh, and Latin America, covering many, many aspects uh, of agriculture and how to try to overcome those through generating uh, an evidence base uh, to support objective decision-making, uh, investments, improving governance, improving uh, policy. So if I come to uh, IMI, um, so we work on water systems uh, and agriculture is part of the needs uh, of society and indeed the environment. 
let us not forget uh, the environment and the needs that uh, biodiversity uh, and the planet has in order to keep our ecosystems functioning, to keep our ecosystems healthy. So our 11 offices across uh, Africa uh, and Asia, and in these uh, parts of the world, there are, if you like, four big drivers of changes in water, water use. Firstly, let me say that agriculture is the biggest user of, of water in society. If you looked at all of the water that society consumes, then 70%, 80% of that water goes towards uh, agriculture, to growing crops, to producing uh, animals. So you can see how significant it is. And then when we talk about uh, water systems, we have to think about what are the pressures on those systems. Well, of course, the first one is population growth. So the world's population from moving, moving from about seven, 7 billion at the moment to by 2050, 9 billion. So where are we going to get water from? Where are we going to get food from? How are we going to give people all of those resources when there's uh, an extra 2 billion people coming onto the planet? At the same time, many parts of the world have peaked or are peaking in population. But there, for example, in Asia, the big driver is this uh, increase in economic activity. So that means a big change in how we use our water. So we might think that, okay, agriculture might use about 70% of the water now, but in the future, that might drop to 50%. Still more water, but it'll, it'll need it in different ways. And in addition to economic growth and population growth, then we also have migration. So some of that migration is towards urbanization. So people from rural areas being drawn into cities in the mega cities uh, of the world. And again, that changes where we might need water relatively. So we might need more water in cities than we, we, we do currently. And then we've got migration between countries. Uh, and largely there is an, a growing uh, evidence to su suggest but much of that migration, certainly in poor areas, is moving away from our natural resources uh, where they are stressed, and that, that, that includes water. So you can think about sub-Saharan Africa uh, and that movement uh, towards European, uh, towards Europe, uh, my apologies. So IMI has the word management in its title, so we're very much interested in what are the management options. And those management options can be economic, uh, policy, uh, sorry, tax incentives, tax breaks, uh, incentivizing industry and private investors. It can be to do with governance, and indeed it could be to do with biophysical, uh, how we could both engineer, but also use uh, our natural ecosystem and landscapes uh, more wisely uh, to improve our utilization of water, to make it more uh, accessible and more fairly accessible. So Val, I, I hope that gives you and the listener a, a view uh, of the CGIR and specific, specifically uh, IMI, the International Water Management Institute. Thank you. Indeed it does. Thank you for that uh, excellent insight uh, on IMI and CGIR, especially for our listeners who are not familiar with the work. I think that was a great introduction. Um, uh, moving on, uh, as evaluators and researchers, we often uh, try to learn from uh, large institutions that uh, exchange information, particularly uh, when they collect data and how they collect data and store data. And CGIR is a huge consortium. So how do the various CG centers, including IMI, exchange information and learn from each other? And specifically, how does digital technologies play in collecting, sharing, and disseminating data 
to ensure the AME scientists as well as other colleagues and other CG centers are continuously learning from uh, each other. And as you mentioned, to improve human nutrition, sustainable management of uh, natural resources, especially water. Sure. Well, thanks for that. Um, I'm speaking to you as hopefully we're, we're coming out of the, the COVID uh, crisis uh, across the planet. And that has seen a, a huge shift, uh, an acceleration into the, the digital world. So no longer do we travel uh, to meetings, no longer do we sit around a, a computer in a room, we do that remotely. So this has been a huge acceleration and IMI and the CG uh, are obviously a part of that. And so I would say, you know, a summary is it's e-everything now. Electronically, everything we can do, uh, we do uh, for, for various reasons. You know, we could actually also think about the carbon footprint of all that traveling. So this move towards uh, e-everything uh, has been a significant change for us. So we do professional development. We do training uh, online, uh, shared courses, uh, using digital technologies. We do, we develop projects together using proprietary and open source uh, software. We do uh, meetings uh, online. We have seminars, webinars uh, online. We contribute to podcasts uh, such as this one. We have a virtual working environment and a number uh, of areas. And then to measure the impact of our work and evaluation there's all, all metrics. So again, for those of your listeners who I know are interested in, in monitoring evaluation, those are a, a mixture of the type of things uh, we're using. So I hope that was helpful, at least in part, Val. Yes, uh, it, it was. Thank you, Simon. I'm gonna hand it over to a colleague, May, who will uh, discuss a little bit more on uh, advanced technologies that you're using in IMI for your research work. May, please take it. Yeah, thanks. Simon, that's very, very interesting. And um, what, uh, what I'm interested in in particular is following up a bit more on how the evaluation and monitoring work um, actually feeds into uh, the decision-making policy and so forth you're talking about. Because, um, you know, water and uh, agricultural systems are at the centre of so many debates globally where does it all fit? You must have surely some pretty tough evaluation work to do in order to mediate and negotiate in a context where you've got sustainability issues and you've got huge demands for just let's get some more food produced, whatever. May, that was a very uh, insightful uh, question. So I think, uh, first and foremost, uh, as a research for development organization, we are there to try and provide evidence, uh, an objective evidence. And that can come through quantitative data, but increasingly, I would also say qualitative uh, information. So softer data, not it doesn't always have to be numbers. Uh, opinions uh, are, of course, quite important, so long as they can be validated. So I think this idea of building decisions, building investments, based on a sound evidence base uh, is very important. But you know, I'm hiding something there by, by talking about a sound evidence base, something that may be sound uh, in a legal court versus uh, what goes through into policy versus what a researcher, they all have differing levels of confidence. And I think that's what we're talking about here. 
is levels of, of, of confidence um, and uncertainty. So when you're presenting something, how certain are you? And, and where does that apply? And where does that not apply? So I think the role for research for development is to be open and share that as information. It's not for us to make the decision, it is for us to provide the evidence base as we understand it. Then decision makers can decide for themselves how much they believe it. Do they believe it? And which bits don't, or which bits do they want more, more evidence for? And I think in all of this, what we're also addressing then is the trade-offs and synergies between these. So, you know, we can't take a, a totally engineering approach, which might have been done in the past, because you know, engineer, or not, I'm not going to sing that engineers, but engineering is typically said, it's okay, we can fix this through through a series of mathematical uh, and, you know, uh, biophysical interventions. But I think it's also important to understand how those are uh, operated, how those are managed, what capacity there is. So again, it, it moves us into that greater systems thinking across all of these. And that's really important, I think, when we're talking about transboundary waters. So many of our uh, groundwaters and the, the you know, waters underneath the Earth's surface, as well as surface rivers and lakes, are shared between multiple countries. So how do you do that? And how do you reduce conflict and try and increase uh, synergies? And that's really important. Again, we think about climate change, and if we think about decarbonizing our society, as we move away from providing energy provided from fossil fuels to energy that's provided through green sources. And green sources quite often means hydropower, it means growing biofuels on land, which might also have been used uh, instead for, for um, providing food. So again, trade-offs uh, and synergies, uh, and we call this the water energy food nexus. And then we need to make all of that data uh, information and data and information accessible. So we do that through reports and papers and increasingly, you know, through electronic media, through the web, through podcasts, uh, through blogs. Uh, yeah. So multi multiple sources. Is that what you are after? And do you think that's what the audience wanted me? Well, actually, if it's possible, Simon, to give us some examples. You know, where has your work in uh, CGIAR in we, um, been able through the evaluation and monitoring work to uh, influence debates that have moved agriculture and water systems towards a much more sustainable future, where perhaps examples may be difficult for you of where these are running into blocks. Um, how perhaps a little bit more on uh, the, the different kinds of diversities of stakeholders. This I imagine is a particular issue because you have such diverse groups and interests um, transboundary, but also within any different context that are, that are competing in this space for a voice. So if you could perhaps give us some practical examples that are you drawn from the work that you've been doing is that possible? Yes, certainly. So in terms of uh, some examples to, to illustrate this talk about uh, advanced technologies um, and, and the, the, the underpinning evidence base, how, how do we put that together? So let me pull out a few. Uh, I would start with when I was in Ethiopia, there was a blanket 
uh, tax uh, on all imports. The, the government quite rightly was trying to get its balance of, of payments uh, right. But at the same time, it recognized, well, it didn't recognize, I think the role of IMI was sorting out irrigation, helping sort out irrigation. So you had a, a problem there where irrigation pumps were not made in the country. And so they had to be imported. And that meant the farmers or farmer organizations, which were buying essentially equipment to improve the productivity of their water and the crops were being taxed to import this machinery. And that was really holding back that sector uh, of the economy. So I think by pre pre developing and presenting the evidence from collecting it from uh, farmers, the extension workers working in, in the fields on agricultural water management, we were able to bundle together uh, evidence to show that in fact, there was greater benefit from reducing taxation on importing pumps to the, the, the economy because they could produce more and they could become more self-sufficient. So that's, that's one. Uh, a, a second example, something that we're, we're currently working on is again, uh, it's irrigation based. Um, and here we were developing some software uh, called uh, systematic asset management software for irrigators. And in this case it is that quite often development banks and, and funders pay for uh, capital uh, goods, sorry, capital equipment. So they'll build dams, build irrigation schemes. But then what there is need is a need to understand how those assets if you like, you know, sluice gates, canals, all of the components uh, of an irrigation scheme. How are they operating and what do they need in terms of maintenance? And there isn't a way to do that at the moment. So we're developing together with the Asian Development Bank uh, and other partners, this uh, software so people can monitor how those assets uh, are performing. I'm going to give you a quick third example, and then I'll, I'll talk a bit more about diversity of stakeholders, but I think they're implicit in some of my answer. Uh, the third example is understanding uh, floods and, and droughts. So we have developed a, a scheme uh, for Asia, <clears throat> excuse me, and listeners that are interesting might like to look at the, it's called the South Asia Drought Monitoring Scheme, and listeners uh, to the podcast can find this at http dms.imi.org and i think you'll find there some uh, accessible information on how we go about using spatial data remote sense data to develop flood uh, and drought warning schemes and we've taken that a step further by if we can predict or indeed show that response, let's say, to a flood, we can work with insurance companies to get rapid payouts to smallholder farmers. So that's, that is a, a system that we're, we're developing. So I think I've given you uh, three examples there using different uh, data information. And in that, uh, I mentioned a few uh, stakeholders. So the stakeholders go from, for example, uh, the Ministry of Agriculture, Ministry of Water, Irrigation uh, and Energy, through to water users associations, through to funding such as development banks, through to irrigation uh, managers, uh, and then to insurance companies. Um, so I hope that, May, does that give a more rounded picture or do you want something else? Uh, 
Yes, thank you. Um, I'm aware that I'm taking up a lot of airspace here, so uh, I, I will pass it over to Tom. Tom, do you want to pick it up? Yes, May, thanks. And Simon, that's really, uh, really interesting. And you've been particularly focusing there on how spatial data, for example, helps to generate evidence. But you also said earlier on about how important it is to ensure that you can make sense of that evidence to decision makers in, in policy, but also in management, which is, uh, is part, of, part of your brief. Um, I'm just interested in, in uh, when and how you have managed to use spatial data or data from the Internet of Things, for example, to uh, make sense of findings, to communicate, to facilitate uh, changes in, in management in water or in policy towards that? Yes, uh, thanks, Tom. Um, I've talked about three uh, areas that we're, we're actively investigating. Let me just try and give you some others that are um, under development or, or, or developed. Uh, and Tom, again, you need to come back to me if I'm not quite hitting this uh, where you need it. So one thing is understanding this balance between what I said in the opening phrases about societal needs um, versus environmental needs. So we have what we call an environmental flow calculator, which shows you uh, how much uh, flow, how much water is needed to sustain uh, the environment, to sustain enough water so biodiversity in aquatic water systems uh, can flourish uh, and is not overly threatened. So we, we talk about that in terms of environmental flows. And then specifically, you mentioned uh, the Internet of Things. So here, what we're doing is we're working with a, a private uh, company uh, who supplies uh, solar power uh, irrigated uh, irrigation pumps. These pumps know where they are, they know when they're switched on, and they know how many uh, revolutions per minute they're pumping. So you can work out if you like, you know it's switched on, you know how long it's switched on, so you know how much water that one pump is abstracting. So you can then start to assemble that from across a spatial area, from a, a river body catchment area, we call them, and, and add that up to see how much water is being taken, uh, either for private use, because irrigated pumps are quite often used for household uh, use as well in rural areas. So you can add that up and you can work out the rates of abstraction. And then on the other side of the equation, what you can do is use mathematical models and observation to tell you what is the rate uh, of recharge. So how quickly do these groundwaters and rainwaters replenish that water that's being taken out by this, this abstraction? So it starts to give you an idea in real time, you know, hour per hour of how that is developing across a season. Am I drawing too much? Do we have to reduce it? How do we do that as individuals across uh, a, land, a landscape? So, um, yeah, I think I, I, I would offer that. Uh, the second one I would offer is something on, on water allocation. So here, what we're doing is using uh, earth observation uh, of data to say this is how we this is the amount of water we've got how do we how can we allocate that where where is it being used 
And again, it, it talks about these water systems. So it's thinking about rain-fed agriculture. So agriculture that is directly fed by the rain. It's thinking about irrigation. It's thinking about industrial needs. And it's trying to add up all of those and then say, right, well, this is, this is the size of my pie. How do I divide that pie up uh, amongst uh, different users? Simon, that's really fascinating and really helpful. The world of evaluation for much of the last 50 years has been concerned with human systems and evaluating human systems. The Anthropocene requires us to be able to combine that with natural systems. And what you've described there is a brilliant example of how uh, we can represent the interrelationships between natural systems and human systems. And I can just imagine being able to represent that visually as well as uh, through modeling and through other, other means. So that's a really, really helpful um, way of describing how we might bring together evaluations that include the natural systems and the human systems. So thank you for that. On the, um, if I may, on the Anthropocene, since Tom's brought that up, um, you know, this is, must be quite a challenging area for you. And I'd be interested in the issues that emerge in your work around evaluation on um, dealing with the challenges of trying to meet the needs of the a sustainable future, meet the needs of biodiversity, which you, you've mentioned, under the challenges and demands for um, more productivity that I mentioned earlier. And I'd be also interested to know in the light of that uh, perception of the challenge, where do you see evaluation positioning itself? Must it remain as a neutral, impartial uh, negotiator of data, information, knowledge across diverse stakeholder groups? Or is there a concern that evaluation might need to, to take a more uh, advocating advocatory role or um, is there uh, debates within your community about these issues and where things might be going? Whoa <laughs> yes thanks May. So the future role of uh, evaluation. Um, let me let me try and link that in, in part to I think where you started picking up from Tom and I think what we are talking about is very complex socio-ecological uh, systems. So this interplay between society uh, and natural resources, where I think there's an increasing recognition is that the society has not got that right uh, so far, that we're still stuck uh, in an extraction uh, phase and, and we've got to move that towards this more sustainable. And what you have is a number of international frameworks. And so in some ways, for me, where, my, where I sit, May, is I think I think about evaluation in the terms of, of the context of the needs of that. Um, how strong 
an evidence base do we need? And again, that, that varies. But what I would want to do is I wouldn't want that to move into political space. I, I, those are well, in part the decision makers, part uh, in private companies. But I think our role, what I would like to argue for is not a, not a huge uh, shift in terms of thinking about evaluation. Uh, I think evaluation does need to be, be neutral. If there was any movement, it might be towards thinking about context-specific uh, evaluation. So, and I think the evidence has to be and has to be evaluated against what those needs are and what those uncertainties are. And you know, again, just to try and help uh, the, the listener, you can adopt the precautionary principle, uh, saying if there's pretty reasonable uh, evidence to suggest uh, the, the cause impact relationship, should we be doing it or should we not? Uh, and what is the cost, uh, either direct cost or the, the wider indirect cost? And again, you can think back, you can think about a, a couple of things, uh, smoking uh, and health. You can think about uh, lead in petrol and removal of lead. What evidence was needed to change uh, that what sort of evaluation uh, of the evidence, of the information that was available uh, and how that was used. Thank you, Simon. That was uh, quite insightful. And uh, thank you again for joining us uh, on uh, tonight's episode. And uh, some of the examples you've given, I can very much relate to as well. As you know, I was with Africa Rising and we brought in the solar pumps first time. Uh, was a big challenge and some of the interesting work that IMI does and it's a testament to what IMI does in this space. Uh, to our listeners, we are very happy that uh, you are tuning into us and to listen to our exciting researcher from Colombo, Sri Lanka, uh, Dr. Simon Langan, and we are hopeful to bring you much more exciting episodes. Uh, please watch this space and thank you for joining us this evening. <laughs>